You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay, so today we are in part three of a set of sermons through the book of Jonah. And let me lead into it just by asking a simple question. Have you ever had a shocking surprise? If you have lived for more than about three minutes, uh, your answer is probably yes, uh, because life is full of these sort of shocking surprises. And a few years ago, I had one of those shocking surprises that changed my life forever. It was a normal Tuesday, maybe about two in the afternoon, and I just sat through a meeting, and there was way too much coffee in that meeting. So by the time we finished, I needed to go to the bathroom. And uh, so uh, I go to the bathroom, uh, wash my hands, I open the door, I'm coming out, and I just am humming like, you know, it is well with my soul. It's just the, the world is a good place. Uh, life is amazing. And unbeknownst to me, uh, there was a surprise coming around the corner. I think you're going to see a picture of it. Uh, this was what uh, was coming around the corner. I didn't know that. Um, but life seemed amazing, and I just had no idea uh, what was coming. And uh, what came uh, reminds me of a grizzly bear uh, dressed in a blue shirt. I think you're going to see the next picture uh, that shows what happened next. <laughs> I mean, the bad guy got me right there. The grizzly bear attacked. I thought life was over. It was a shocking surprise. And, you know, I am not one uh, to mention names in a moment like this. Uh, Daniel Botterf, uh, Jeff Garner. Uh, so I'm not one to name names in moments like this. But I do know that there is a day that some people refer to as payback. Uh, that is coming uh, for these names that I will not mention uh, today. Sh a shocking surprise. Now, when you look at that picture right there, uh, that in a lot of ways is what the story of Jonah is producing in verse after verse, chapter after chapter. It's one shocking surprise after another. And those shocking sort of surprises in the book of Jonah, they start early and they come often. Verse 2, we get our first major surprise. Uh, surprise 1 in the book of Jonah is God's command. Uh, his command in verse 2 uh, it goes like this. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. There's three commands or imperatives in verse 2. Uh, the first uh, imperative is arise. That brings urgency to it. It's uh, God looking at Jonah and saying, Jonah, I don't want you to do this tomorrow or next week or next month. I want you to get about this right now. There, there's urgency. Arise. Go now, Jonah. Uh, second uh, command, go to Nineveh. Arise. Command one, go. Command two, go to Nineveh. Now, there are disadvantages to reading a story like this 2,800 years after it happened. There are disadvantages to that. Uh, and one disadvantage is that we have a way of missing the drama that is built into a story. And this is one of those moments. Uh, you know, when, when you hear the word Nineveh, I doubt in any heart in this room that hatred and anger just begin to swirl in your hearts. I doubt that's true. But for every person in the hearing audience uh, in this story, for Jonah, that's what is happening. Uh, if you just think about uh, the people of Assyria, the, the capital of which is Nineveh, the Assyrians were known for their cruelty. They were known for their brutality. They would be referred to today as a terrorist state. 
Uh, This is the people of Assyria. Uh, If you want maybe a picture for them, think about the big bully um, on the playground. That's what the people of Assyria were. Uh, They were the big bully on the playground who every day at recess, they are beating you up or they are threatening to beat you up. This was the role that the people of Assyria played in sort of the day-to-day life of the people of Israel. They were the primary threat against the, really the existence of the people of Israel. And if you know how the story goes in the years to come, uh, Assyria sweeps through and defeats, totally crushes and destroys the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, let me just pause here and, and just acknowledge that is showing us something amazing about the heart of God, this missionary impulse in the heart of God. That, that there is something in the heart of God that loves to go to enemies and make enemies his friends. There is something in the heart of God that loves to go to sinners in the mess and filth of their sin and to make sinners into saints. That that heart is in God. There's just an impulse that loves doing that in God. And if you're in Christ, that is your story. This is what God has done to you. According to Romans 5, God has come to you when you were an enemy. And he's rescued you. He's made you an enemy, his friend. And for all of the enemies he's made friends, he's put that same enemy-loving heart in us so that now we can be reflectors of that heart of God. And part of what Jonah chapter 1 verse 2 is, is it's an invitation to Jonah and by extension to us to be a good reflector of that, of that enemy-loving heart in God. To go to our enemies with grace. That, that's the invitation of verse 2. This is the amazing heart of God that's in that command to arise, go to Nineveh. And here's the third command, the third imperative in verse 2. And call out against it. So God looks at Jonah and says, arise, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to say to them what I say to you. And in chapter 3, we see the sermon, and we get to read the sermon, and the sermon was really simple. Here it is. Uh, Nineveh, yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was the sermon. Now, I'm still learning how to preach under 40 minutes. Uh, Eight words just sort of feels out of reach for me at this point. I mean, it's just a short, sweet, simple sermon. On the surface, it's a very hard sermon, right? It's got a very hard edge to it, but underneath that hard edge is the grace of God, the inviting grace of God. Inside of that eight-word sermon is an invitation from God to to turn from their sin, to turn from the evil that's risen up to God, and to come back to God. There's an invitation in that sermon to lay down their arms and to return to God. This is surprise number one, God's command. Now that takes us to verse 3. And verse 3, we're, we're to the third verse, and here's another surprising turn. We're coming around the corner, and we're not expecting what verse 3 shows us. Here's the second surprise. It's Jonah's response to God. Jonah's response to God. Now, take yourself back to the first time you read through the story of Jonah. The very first time, and ask yourself the question, what am I expecting to read in verse 3? Verse 2, God comes to Jonah 
and says, arise, go to Nineveh and call out against it. We get to verse 3, what are we expecting? We are expecting Jonah to say, great. We're expecting verse 3 to say, Jonah arose, he got in his car and he headed to Nineveh and he did the thing the Lord was asking him to do. Surprise, that's not what we read in verse 3, is it? Here's verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah runs. And running in the story of Jonah is a storied presentation of sin. It's sin in story form. And Jimmy did a great job of walking through Jonah's defiance last week. Uh, He talked about how uh, his defiance started with doubt, doubt in the goodness of God. And then that doubt led to distance. He, He went away from the presence of the Lord, and that distance led to a descent and you see that descent uh, throughout the first couple of chapters. As, as in chapter 1, verse 3, is Jonah goes down to Joppa. And then a couple of times in chapter 1, where he goes down into the ship. And then you see it in chapter 2, verse 6, where he goes down to the roots of the mountain. Down to the land whose bars closed upon him forever. And I think there's just such a good warning right there. You know, in all of our lives, when sin shows up, it's always dressed to the nines. It's always looking amazing. But part of what the story of Jonah is meant to do is expose sin for what it really is. It's meant to help us look through the good looks of sin all the way to its ugly heart. It's showing us what sin's ambition is for your life. And it's to take you down to the roots of the mountain to take you down to the land where bars enclose you forever. That's the goal of sin in your life. Doesn't matter how well-dressed it is, that's the goal. This is what it's after, to take you down to the roots of the mountain. Now, let me just linger here for a moment and just appeal to you again. Some of us in this room right now are like Jonah. We are running from God. And inside of verse 3, this shocking surprise, Jonah's response to God is an invitation to you to stop running and to come back home. God has you here this morning to say that to you. That this is your invitation to stop running and to come back home. Now, verse 3, this surprise, Jonah's response to God really sets the stage For the biggest surprise of all in the book of Jonah. And the biggest surprise of all is found in verse 4. It's God's response to Jonah. Jonah's response to God is a shocking surprise. But of all the shocks in the book of Jonah, God's response to Jonah is the biggest of them all. We've laughed about this the last couple of weeks, but if I got to stand inside of the story in the place of God, the story of Jonah would just be so short. Chapter 1, verse 2, God comes to Jonah and says, uh, go to Nineveh. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah says no. Chapter 1, verse 4, God kills Jonah. Story's over, right? I mean, it would just be such a short story. It'd be the shortest book in the Bible. 
But, but hear me now. When we get to a moment like this, we so often presume upon the grace of God. We just sort of assume it and, and we forget that it's grace from God. God would be fair if in verse 4 he killed Jonah. God would be just and right if in verse 4 he killed Jonah. God didn't owe Jonah anything. Jonah is the one that owed God everything. And we so often presume upon the grace of God. This is what makes verse 4 so shocking. Now think about the play out of this story. Jonah runs from God. That's sin in story form. Then verse 4, God runs after Jonah. That is grace in story form. It's it's grace in story form. Chapter 1, verse 4, but the Lord. But the Lord. Those three words signal a turn in the story. A counteracting move from God. But the Lord. Those words, but the Lord, are signaling that grace is on the way. That the grace is now entering into the story. That grace has now arrived. But the Lord. Those three words signal that God cares and God is coming. Not just to a perishing city, but to a prodigal prophet. Grace is on the way. But the Lord. Those three words, and really the story of Jonah, taps into this rich biblical vein that we might call God's pursuing grace. That's what Jonah chapter 1, really the story of Jonah is tapping into, what it's exposing, what it's highlighting, what it's teaching us. God's pursuing grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor and affection of God. It's unmerited. You didn't earn it. You could never earn it. You don't deserve it. It's what makes it grace. It's the unmerited, unearned favor and affection of God. Now, when you read the scriptures, what you're going to often find are people who are trying to outrun the pursuing grace of God. You're going to find this throughout the Bible. Um, If you read the story of David, you're going to find David trying to outrun the pursuing grace of God. You're going to find Moses trying to outrun the pursuing grace of God. You're going to find Paul trying to outrun the pursuing grace of God. You're going to find Jonah right here in this story trying to outrun the pursuing grace of God. But aren't we all thankful that grace has never lost a race? It's never lost a race in your life, never lost a race in my life. It's never lost a race. Grace is still undefeated in all of its races, right? This is what Jonah 1 is showing us. Verse 3, Jonah flees to Joppa. Verse 4, but the Lord. Verse 3, he finds a ship and he pays his fare. Verse 4, but the Lord. He boards the ship in verse 3, running just as fast as he can away from God to Tarshish. Verse 4, but the Lord. Jonah is on the run, but grace is about to win. The pursuing grace of God is around the corner. But it came in a way and in a form that Jonah did not expect. It came in a a surprising way. Grace came in the form of a storm. Grace, in this story, came in the form of a storm. Look at verse 4. But the Lord, that is signaling the pursuing grace of God is now 
on the way. It's coming. And the question becomes, well, what is the pursuing grace of God going to look like? How is God going to come? But the Lord, verse 4, hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Grace comes in the form of a storm. God literally harnesses the, form, uh, the, the forces of nature to hunt down his running prophet. That the grace of God, the pursuing grace of God comes in a storm. Now, what kind of a storm are we talking about? Um, listen to the way this story, this narrative describes this storm. Verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. That word great shows up seven times uh, in this narrative. So it's not just a storm or a wind. It is a great storm. It is a great wind. Verse 4, uh, the, the narrative calls it a mighty tempest. It, it was so bad in verse 4 that uh, the ship threatened to break up. I mean, it's bad enough where it's about to rip this sh ship to, to shreds. That, that's how bad this storm is. Uh, it, look at verse 5. Uh, it describes it in the narrative as so bad that hardened sailors are terrified. They have gotten to the point where they are offloading cargo. They are doing whatever it takes now to survive. That, that's how bad the storm is. So when we're thinking about this storm, grace in, in the form of a storm, this pursuing grace from God was less like a, uh, maybe a light shower and more like a life-threatening hurricane. That's the form that grace took in this story. Now, I want to pause and just consider that uh, for the rest of our time together this morning. What can we learn about the pursuing grace of God as we look at it, take, take on the form of this storm of verse 4? What, what does that teach us about the pursuing grace of God? What can we learn about the pursuing grace of God? Let me point out three things. Number one, the storm reveals the size of God's grace. This is the first thing we learned, that it reveals the size of God's grace. Now think about that word grace in the Bible. It is a, a huge word in the Bible. It is a big biblical word. It covers, that word grace covers the multifaceted ways that God relates to his people. One way that we would describe the way God relates to his people is he does it with grace. God's interaction with us is defined by grace. It's describing the multifaceted way that God deals with us. Okay, now, here's the problem. For far too many, that word grace has been shrunk down and sort of downsized into something much smaller to where it only now covers, that word grace, it only covers the pleasurable things that we receive from the hand of God. When most people think about the word grace, that's how they think about it. Not the multifaceted way that God deals with his people, but a particular way that God deals with his people. When, when God is giving them pleasurable things, things that, that, that they want in their life. So, so grace is, I got the job. Uh, grace is, I got the promotion. I got the raise. Grace is, we're pregnant. Uh, grace is, I go to the doctor's office and, and the doctor looks at me and says, you're healthy. It's all good. Grace, grace is, my, my portfolio is just blowing up. That, that's grace for most of us. 
Now, all of those examples are grace from God. Yes and amen to that. But grace goes beyond the pleasurable. It's part of what this story is teaching us. Grace goes beyond the pleasurable. Put yourself in the shoes of Jonah for a moment. If you're Jonah and you're on the ship headed to Tarshish, the last thing you want is a storm. As a matter of fact, if you're in the, in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, right, in a boat, it is the worst possible scenario for you. I mean, Jonah is on a Mediterranean cruise, right? This is what's happening. What, what he wants is a nice 70-degree days with a slight breeze blowing to Tarshish. That's what Jonah's after. But that's not what came for Jonah. Grace came, and grace came in the form of a storm. And that storm of verse 4 shows us that grace is big enough to cover all things in our life, both pleasurable things and painful things. I want to say that one more time. Part of what this storm is showing us, this storm of God's grace, is that that word grace is big enough to cover all things that come into our life, both pleasurable things and painful things. Grace is not just, I finally got married, it's also, I'm still single and I would like to be married. Grace is not just, my marriage is amazing. Grace is also, my marriage is difficult. Grace is not just, Man, I went to the doctor and I am good to... It's also, you have cancer. Grace covers all of these things. It's not just pleasurable things. It's also painful things. Persecution, loss, wayward children. This storm shows us that God is not only sovereign over our salvation, which he is. That's Jonah chapter 2 verse 10. He is sovereign over our salvation. This storm is also showing us, though, that God is sovereign over our suffering, the painful things in our life. Uh, This storm is introducing us uh, to what we might call the uncomfortable grace of God. The uncomfortable grace of God. Uh, Paul Tripp, he defines uncomfortable grace like this. He says, uncomfortable grace is God taking you where you haven't chosen to go to produce in you what you couldn't achieve on your own. The last thing Jonah is choosing, the last thing he wants to see and wants to have happen in his life is for a storm to erupt in his life. But this is God taking you to a place that that he didn't choose to go to produce in Jonah what Jonah could not achieve on his own. And God does this in the life of all of his sons and daughters. Every one of us. Storms of grace. The pursuing grace of God is going to take the form of storms in our life. Seasons of suffering in our life. Uh, Years ago, I listened to Randy Alcorn talk about suffering. And uh, he asked the audience, he said, "I I want you to imagine two sheets of paper in front of you. And on sheet one, you are listing the worst moments of your life, the worst of the worst, seasons of suffering that just take your breath away. And then on page two, um, just imagine yourself writing 
the, the best of your moments with God. Just your heart is alive and open to Jesus. A spiritual vibrancy is just defining your life with God. And then he said, take these two sheets of paper and now imagine you laying them over the top of one another. And it's amazing how in all of our lives when we lay these two over the top of one another, it's amazing how much the worst of our life leads to the best. How the worst moments of suffering leads to the greatest moment of intimacy with God. This is the story of Job. Can you imagine a guy with a worse day than Job? He lost everything. He lost uh, the lives of all of his kids. He lost all of his money. He lost his health. Every, uh, he, lost, he lost it all. Uh, but Job is, is seeing this moment with his eyes open. He is seeing that this is a storm of God's grace. So whatever secondary causes may be going on in this moment, his eyes are fixed on the primary cause, that, that these are storms of grace from God, that grace covers both things pleasurable and things painful. This is why in, in Job chapter 1, verse 21, he says, it's the Lord that is given and the Lord that is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's amazing how if you look at the life of Job and you put the worst of his life and you compared it, you overlaid it with the best of his life with God, how these two moments match. In Job chapter 42, after a long wrestling match with God through his suffering, Job looks at God in verse 5 of Job 42 and said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. That's what suffering does. That's storms of grace. This is what God is doing. He is, he's inviting us deeper into his heart to come and explore more of who he is. It's God taking us where we haven't chosen to go to produce in us what we couldn't achieve on our own. The uncomfortable grace of God. Can, can you look back over your life and see the storms in your life? The, the dark moments in your life? Those dark seasons of suffering are described in the Bible with the word grace. This is the language Paul uses in Philippians 1, uh, 29. He says, it's God who grants or graciously gifts us these storms of suffering. It's grace that doesn't go down easily in the moment, but it's grace nonetheless. Uh, Paul Tripp, as he's uh, going on and talking about uh, this uncomfortable grace from God, he's, he, he says, in those moments when we find ourselves in the storm, we, we are knee-deep in a storm of suffering. And, and there, knee-deep in the storm of suffering, we find ourselves crying out to God, God, where is grace? God, where is it? He, he said, in the middle of that storm of suffering, God is saying back to you, you're getting it. Right now, where you are in this storm, he says it's not the grace of relief, it's not the grace of release, it's the grace of refinement. God is shaping you more and more into, this, into the person of Jesus, to the shape of Jesus. And he's using this storm of grace to do that shaping work. A couple of weeks ago, I came home, and Eva, who is our youngest, uh, she was not doing well. She was uh, just beside herself, and 
uh, come to find out she had a splinter. It was in her ring finger, and it was stuck behind the nail in her ring finger. So you can just kind of imagine the moment. That's a, that's a pretty sensitive spot. It's not really where you would like to have a splinter, right? So it was, it was a bad moment. There were a lot of tears. There were a lot of things happening when we walked in uh, the door. And, uh, and it was interesting because when I first looked at it, I'm like, well, thank the Lord. I, I can see the splinter sticking up over the nail. So in theory, this was going to be a very easy splinter-removing moment. In theory, it was going to be an, an easy moment. I grabbed the tweezers, and I come back in the room, and when I got close to Eva, and in particular her hand with that splinter in it, my 10-year-old little precious girl, she shape-shifted on me. She, in that moment, she transformed right before my eyes on the couch into this wounded wolverine. And when I went for her hand with the tweezers, that wolverine went wild. I mean, she lost her mind. In the middle of all that, she just was trying to think of the meanest thing that she could say to me. And she looks up at me and says, you're the meanest dad of all the dads. You're the absolute meanest now, not knowing that I'd actually already got the splinter out, she jerks her hand and she looks at me just with rage in her eyes and says, you do not touch that splinter. No. And I grabbed the tweezers and held up the splinter. And I said, are you talking about that splinter? This one? And I just remembered in that moment thinking, isn't this just us with God? God is doing the very work in our lives that need to be done. He's introducing his pursuing grace, his uncomfortable grace in our lives to, to do that necessary work of removing the splinters of remaining sin. And we shape shift into that wolverine, don't we? Lashing out at God trying to find ways to say the meanest thing we can think of to God. It's just, it's just our heart's natural response to those moments. But, but it is the Lord coming to remove those splinters, that, that remaining sin. It's, it's grace. It's a storm of grace in our life. Let me just pause and linger here just for a moment. When I, when I think about one of the roles of a pastor, Part of what every pastor ought to be doing is preparing the people that God's entrusted to him to endure suffering, storms of grace. Because if you're not in one right now, it's just a matter of time. It's coming for you, isn't it? It's coming in all of our lives. And, and one of the best ways I know to ready anyone for those storms of suffering is to make sure that our view of grace is big enough to take both the pleasurable things from God and the painful things. For us to get our theology right, to see that that is all the Lord's grace in our life. It's God doing things in us, shaping us, conforming us more and more into the image of a son. And for those in the storm right now, that storm is not evidence of God's lack of attention of your life. It's not evidence that, that God has stopped loving you, that God has left you. 
That storm is God's pursuing grace. It is evidence that right now in your life, in that storm, God is loving you. He is coming after you. He is rescuing and redeeming you. He is is shaping you, conforming you into the image of his son. The storm reveals the size of God's grace. But that's not all the storm reveals. It also reveals the severity of God's grace. Both the size and the severity of God's grace. Look again at how that storm is described. Uh, They are not gentle, tender words. Right? Here's how the storm is described. The Lord, Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Uh, in verse 4, it's called a mighty tempest. It is so violent that the ship, in verse 4, is threatening to break up. In verse 5, it's so bad that the mariners are terrified for their lives. Uh, you might circle that word hurled. It, it's the same word used to describe Saul hurling a spear at David. Now, what is the author of the story of Jonah saying to us? With pinpoint accuracy, he is saying, God has whipped up the wind and he has hurled it like a spear right toward the heart of that running prophet, Jonah. This is what we're learning in chapter 1. Now, why would God do that? Why would God hurl a a hurricane at, at Jonah? Why would he do that? Well, let's think about where Jonah is at this point in the story. Jonah is on the run. And ironically, Jonah thinks he is running to freedom, not knowing that he's actually running to slavery. Jonah thinks he is running to life, not knowing that he's actually running to death. Jonah thinks that he is running to the land of his dreams where all of his hopes will come true, not knowing that he's actually running to his despair. He, he, he can't see these things. He is buying every, every lie that sin is selling. And sin always overpromises and underdelivers, doesn't it? And he is buying every one of those lies. So in light of that, in light of Jonah's running from God, buying every last lie that sin is offering, there are two ways to view God's response. It's a severe response. He hurls a storm at Jonah. There's two ways to view that storm. Here's one way to view it. Way one is that that storm is a picture of the wrath of God punishing Jonah. That's one way to view it. Here's the other way to view it. That that storm is a picture of the pursuing grace of God rescuing Jonah. Now this story makes it obvious that it is the pursuing grace of God. The wider story of the Bible makes it obvious that it's the pursuing grace of God. Think about the good news the gospel announces. Here's one way to say it. Uh, The good news uh, announced in, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is that every part of the punishment of God has been borne by Jesus for our sin. Every last part of the punishment, there there is none left so that now we get nothing but the pursuing grace of God. Even when it's severe, even when it's hard, there's nothing left in the heart of God for his sons and daughters but pursuing grace. 
that this storm is not a picture of the wrath of God against sin. This storm is a picture of God's pursuing grace. It is a picture of God coming to rescue his people in the midst of their sin. That's what this storm is. I love how one commentator says it. He says, the storm is evidence that God spares no expense in the pursuit of his children. That's what we learn in that storm. This storm is introducing us not just to the idea of the uncomfortable grace of God. It's also introducing us to what we might call the intervening grace of God. Do you know that grace from God, the intervening grace of God? That grace from God that saves us from ourselves, that rescues us from us. This is what God is doing in the storm. He is intervening in a way that Jonah hates. God is intervening in his life to save Jonah from Jonah. Jonah 1, in particular this storm of verse 4, Jonah 1 is a storied presentation of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, where the author of Hebrews says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. One pastor illustrated it this way. He said, picture a patient with a deadly disease. He goes into the doctor, and the doctor looks at him and says, you're about to die. Your days are numbered. This is, this is a terminal disease that you have. But then the doctor pulls a pill out of his pocket, and he says, here's the great news, though. This pill will cure your disease. This will save your life. You can take this pill and be cured. But the patient looks back at the doctor and says, Doc, you are crazy. That pill is not a cure. That pill is poison. There is no way that I'm taking that pill. And, and the patient runs out. Picture that scene. Now, imagine that you're the doctor and the patient is your son. What would you do if the patient was your son? I think here's the answer. You would do whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes to get the medicine in their mouth, you would do it. In that moment, you would be perfectly fine with what we might call tender violence. <laughs> right? T tender violence. And like every good-hearted dad, God would rather woo us with his tender love than to wound us with his tough love. But when we refuse to respond, when we keep running to our death, he loves us enough to wound us. Whatever it takes, the tender violence of God. And don't we need a God like that? Don't we need a God like that? When I look back over my life, there is no telling the atrocities I would have committed apart from the intervening grace of God, the tender violence of God. And the tender violence of God carries a warning to all runners. Uh, the picture that we're looking at here in the story of Jonah, it's, it's God saying to everyone who is running from him that I love you too much to let you go. 
I love you too much. That, that every son that I love, I discipline. So it just leaves us with the question of how much of the tender violence of God, the, the, the tender how much do we want to endure? How much of the intervening grace of God do we want in our life? The story of Jonah is just God saying, I will not let you win. My grace is undefeated. I will not let you win. So how low do we have to go? How hard does it have to be? How much of my tender violence do you need to lay down your arms, to stop running, and to come back home? The storm shows us the size and the severity of God's grace. And we'll end here. The storm also shows us Jesus. It points us to Jesus, the ultimate expression of God's grace. The supreme example of the size and the severity of God's grace is not this storm in the story of Jonah. It is Jesus in the whole storyline of the scriptures. I love one commentator, he said it this way. It's God's affection for Jonah that sent the intervening storm. And it's God, God's affection for us that sent an intervening Savior. Amen to that. The, the scriptures are just working so hard to convince every human being that we are natural born runners. We come out of the womb rebelling against God, running from God. We come out of the room, Romans, Romans 5 says, as enemies of God. This is how we're all, we all start this way. Our hearts are spring-loaded to say no to God and to run in the other direction. We're spring-loaded for that. So put yourself back in the doctor's office with God. God's the doctor, you're the patient. What would you do if you were God to rescue sin-sick people? To, to rescue runners, what, what would you do? And here is God's answer in the scriptures. Whatever it takes. And whatever it takes took Jesus to a Roman cross. And there on the cross, Jesus endured the storm of God's wrath for our sin. Can you just get in your mind's eye for a moment? Jesus hanging from a tree. Can you see it there? That is God saying, I don't run from runners, I run to them. Can, can you see the dying love of Jesus there in your mind? That is God saying, regardless of how fast you run, my pursuing grace will not lose this race. It will not lose. It is undefeated. Whatever it takes. Just see the dying love of Jesus. Jesus hanging from that cross, breathing his last breath. With that last breath, that is God saying, this is how far I'll go in the pursuit of prodigals like you. 
like me. This is how far I'll go, whatever it takes. Will you bow with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful. just ask the Lord there where you are Father what is it that you want me to hear today what is, what is the one way you would want me to respond today what is it that you want me to see For some in this room, your response today is to come to God for the very first time. God has been pursuing you. The fact that you're in this room this morning listening to this story being preached, it is God's intervening grace in your life, pursuing grace in your life. And God has you here so that you'll respond to him. And for some, it's, it's going to be for the very first time saying no to all the sin that we know disqualifies us. And it's going to be saying no to all the good things in our life that, that somehow we think qualify us and justify us before God. God is saying, no, I want you to turn from all of those things, I want you to throw your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To, to hold your life up to God and say, God, I am all yours. I am trusting Jesus. And for everyone who will do that, God stands so ready, so willing to rescue you today. So there where you are, you can call out in the best way you know how. And for others in the room, you're in the family with God, but you have been running. You're running. And God is looking at you today and saying, my pursuing grace will not lose. I will not let you go. And there is an invitation from God to you today to stop running and to come back home to stop running and to come back home. God, would you, would you help us today do that? God, we don't just read Jonah on a page. We know that Jonah is in us all. And we know there's parts of all of our lives that need to come back home to you. So God, would you help us see these things? God, would you help us See the grace of Jesus today for our running and our rebellion. And God, would you bring us home? Would you bring us home? And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.